0: Good morning. morning. It's good to see you today. How many of you know that it is a good thing when the biggest traffic jam of the week was the one between the 9.30 and the 11.15 service on Sunday morning? How many of you know that's a good thing? It's a good thing. I just wanted you to know that. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or in the chapel or the warehouse, maybe on the internet. Um, this weekend already, I have had the opportunity to meet Um, uh, one family from Japan who watches regularly on the internet who were here this weekend uh, met another uh, lady from Virginia uh, who gave her life to the Lord over the internet campus a few uh, weeks ago and she's going to be baptized this weekend in the ocean uh, here and so just all kinds of good things going on. So, So I wanted to say hey to you guys. It's a great day, isn't it? It's a good day when it's a great day, when you live in South Carolina, when the Gamecocks are going for a 3 huh? All right, good. Even if you're a Clemson fan, you got to be, you know, you got to be on board with the South Carolina thing, all right? Good. Well, I, it's, it's my privilege today to introduce to you, uh, and for most of you, it's a reintroduction uh, to Christine Kane. How do you introduce Christine Kane? She is one of the most dynamic Speakers on the planet. You're going to see that and experience that in a few minutes. Uh, she's from Australia, so she says "church," so you'll just and talks fast, so you'll just have to get used to that. Uh, she's a part of the um, leadership team, one of the teaching uh, uh, pastors at, at Hillsong Church in um, Sydney, Australia. Uh, she uh, currently lives in the United States. She is heading up um, the A21 movement, which is uh, has a goal of abolishing human trafficking in the 21st century. How many of you know that's a big goal, and a good goal? Um, she, she speaks at all the major conferences you go to, at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit, and at Catalyst, and the Art Conference, and just on and on and on and on. In fact, if you have a conference and you don't have Christine speaking, it's probably not a very good conference. And, and, uh, and most of all, she's just our friend. She's a friend of our house. And so I want you to welcome in a huge Seacoast style Christine Kane as she comes to share with us this week. Thank you, Pastor. How awesome. Hi, church. What a. Um
1: Excellent introduction. I've heard that like three times. I'm like, I can't wait to hear myself speak. And um, you kind of hear that and go, awesome. I'm actually sitting here because never in 24 years of speaking history have I ever sat. And um, I said to Josh Surratt, I'm going to try to sit and see if I can do this. And so someone set a stop clock of how long this might last. And um, he's taking a picture to Instagram and tweeted to the... Look at all your cameras, okay? So you you have to tell people this may never happen again in recorded history. So... um, why I'm actually going to sit is because I'm going to show you a DVD up front, so that makes it a lot easier because I'm already wanting to stand up and I haven't even said hello yet. Um, I, I love it. This is family. For Nick and I, we so love your pastors very deeply and um, are, you know, involved with them in a larger network of churches, the Ark churches of which we're all a part, and um, I love doing life with people that are changing the world and making a difference, and your church has been a great inspiration to so many, and I'm so excited about today because I know that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us about... Um, just going to another level and pressing in for more of what he has for us. It's also a very historic day for us at the A21 campaign um, today because we are launching our East Coast office right here in Charleston. And um, Lisa Surratt uh, is going to be heading up our kind of East Coast operations, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And, um so we are now totally connected, and God has been very gracious. You know, we've we've been operational for almost four years, as in overall. But three years, our office, our shelters have been open um, in nations all over the world, and with uh, from investigation to aftercare in Bulgaria, in Greece, in um, the Ukraine, um, England, Australia, and here in America, and about to open in Romania and Moldova and Guatemala and Mexico. So we're very, very serious. Um, about addressing this injustice and I think that the church could actually bring something to the table that no one else brings to the table and um, and we could see this really turned around and God was very gracious I think about three days ago Um, there's 190 US embassies worldwide and they select 10 individuals or organizations worldwide in terms of to give them what they call a Hero of Human Trafficking Award, which is the highest leadership award in the world uh, to do with the fight against trafficking. And Hillary Clinton, um, you know, kind of does a big deal at the State Department. And so three days ago, um, our European Office Director received that award as well. So the good side of that is what it does, is it just kind of puts A21 globally um, right up there as, as a great credible organisation fighting this injustice. And so the fact that we're setting up our East Coast operations here means that we are really, really serious. Um, there's a lot of Russian mafia in Miami, New York, a lot of trafficking down the coast, a whole lot through here in the Carolinas, and we're not playing games. We are just saying it is not okay on our watch for human beings to be trafficked. We're just saying it's not okay. So whether you want to be or not you are now part of this fight with us and so tonight we've got our launch I pray that you're going to be able to make it um, it's a kind of cocktail party launch and where I'll tell a lot more about what's going on and what we're going to do and so we need you all, anyone that can intern volunteer, lawyers, doctors psychologists, uh, special forces operatives, um, you know I know there's a lot of men that would love to get in a jet and so I have a particular set of skills that I can use to kind of deal with traffic as we know that and so um, there's loads of areas to be involved and in. I think It's really actually going to blow up on the east coast, big time, and um, so I'm I'm pretty excited. And I'm just going to show you a DVD um, just before I jump into the word of just the power of the church in fighting this injustice. So why don't you just check this out? Imagine being 15 years old, taken, trapped, and forced to service up to 40 men a day. You have no hope, no freedom, only fear. Then you get pregnant and your baby's taken and sold into a pedophile ring. This is not a fictional story. This is a present day reality for millions of people, in fact, more than 27 million. It's hard for us not to be overwhelmed by these statistics, but we must remember that everyone matters. What if I was the one? What if you were the one? Eleanor came to Greece with a dream of becoming a nurse, but when she arrived, she found out that her traffickers had tricked her and she was sold into the sex trade industry. One day, she jumped off a four-storey balcony trying to end her life. could no longer live with the horror and terror. The authorities found her and brought her to our A21 transition home where our lawyers were able to see justice served as her trafficker was imprisoned and sentenced to 15 and a half years. Eleanor was put through the A21 transition program. Today she's in college studying to fulfill her dream of becoming a nurse. Because of girls like Eleanor, the work of the A21 campaign will not stop. We are actively on the ground fighting human trafficking in Bulgaria, in the Ukraine, in Greece, in England, in Australia, in North America, and there's still more to come. While there are 27 million slaves in the world right now, there are more than two billion Christians. We are the danger to the darkness. We who have been rescued have a responsibility to rescue. Do you realize what a collective force for good we could be? We are the church, the hands and the feet of Jesus. There are endless ways that we can make a difference. We are all over society. Each one of us alone cannot do everything, but we can all do something. Never underestimate the part that you can play. Together, we have the opportunity to abolish slavery in our lifetime. This is our time to write history. And that's what we're starting right here in Charleston. So I'm pretty excited because we are going to win this spy church. We really are. I'm pretty excited. I want to jump right into the Word this morning. I just sense the Holy Spirit here. We've had powerful services, um, you know, last night, today, and um, I'm so excited to, to be here now. I want to pick up in Joshua chapter 5 at a, a really interesting time in history. Um, The children of Israel, after 430 years of slavery and bondage, God had heard their cry and he had set them free out of Egypt. Many of us, if you've been around church life at all, understand that story that that the children of Israel were set free. If you haven't been around church, you might have seen um, a few DVDs about Moses and the Red Sea parting and people coming out of slavery and ending up in the wilderness. Well, what happened was those people were supposed to take 11 days to go from Egypt through a wilderness into the promised land. But somewhere in that eleven days, they lost the in Austra- I was about to say in Australia we say lost the plot. That doesn't translate in America. It means that they got off course. They forgot why they came out. Everyone say lost the plot. When you lose the plot, that means you've, you've just lost the whole thing. So they, they actually came. I haven't done that for a while. I've been living in America for a couple of years. So it's like when I'm going back to Australia for Hillsong. Uh, you can tell this is the third service because that's the first rabbit trail I've taken in a whole lot of services. That's a, how my brain thinks all the time. But I'm normally on a Sunday morning. I'm very conscious that there are men in the room. So I do five points all on the right half of your brain, all in sequential order, and they all go well. So it's okay. Don't panic. She won't get into chick's ministry. And so what happened? The, the girls really love the rabbit trails sorry chicks come back to a woman's night and um, so what happens is they came out of Egypt about to go into the promised land but they got stuck and in fact 45 times in the book of Deuteronomy the Lord reminded Moses to tell the children of Israel don't forget to go in possess uh, go in and possess the land that phrase that direct phrase go in and possess or a derivative of that phrase is stated 45 times in the book of Deuteronomy You've got to ask yourself the question, why did the Lord feel compelled to remind them through this entire book of why they came out? It's because a lot of the church forgets exactly the same thing, that we came out of bondage, out of slavery, out of sin, not to do laps around Mount Sinai and sit in the desert waiting for the rapture, but we came out to go in to possess the promises of God. So often in church life, you can forget why you're saved. You could just think, well, it's just about me. It's just about my comfort. I'm just kind of going through the motions of some religious obligation, albeit a nice entertaining one, and forget actually what the whole purpose of our salvation is. So that we could go in and possess the land, so that we can evangelize the planet before the second coming of Christ. In case you're kind of wondering what you and I are all about, you and I are personally responsible for the evangelization of planet Earth before the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are living between the two advents of Christ. So tonight when you go to dinner and everyone's trying to impress you with what they do for their job and they say, you know, I'm a Supreme Court judge, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a politician. What do you do? Just go, well, I'm personally responsible for the salvation of the planet before the second coming of Jesus. Not sure what you do. It's an impressive job profile. Just saying. Just in case you're wondering what we're doing in church this Sunday morning. We are here with a task. We are here, Micah the prophet says, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We have a job to be light in the midst of darkness, and to propagate the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ across the earth. We're not here to just do church on a Sunday. We are here to be the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and to possess the land. The reason there is so much injustice on the earth today, it's not because the darkness is more powerful than the light. It's just the light switched off and ran away. And what we did was hid from the very world that Jesus said, I sent you into. And so therefore we have a world that is in moral decline, that is in political decline, that is in social decline. A world where the number one crime worldwide is the trafficking of human beings. A world where a whale and a tree has more rights than a human being. There is something upside down about the world, but it's not the world's fault. The world's just being the world. It's our fault because we've abdicated our responsibility as the church. Don't point a judgmental finger at sinners for acting like sinners because that's what sinners do. And don't point a judgmental finger at a world that's spiraling out of control when we, the church, have abdicated our position in that world. Luke chapter 4 does not say the spirit of the Lord God is upon the government or the spirit of the Lord God is upon Hollywood or the spirit of the Lord God is upon the education department. It says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to open to the prison doors to those that are ba- Don't blame everybody else for not doing a job that is not theirs to do. It is our job. So God has called us to possess the land not just to sit and have a nice little comfortable Christianity, but the reason he hasn't taken us to heaven yet is because we've got a job to do here on earth. And so what happened was a generation came out of slavery and forgot what they came out for. They did not realize, they forgot that they were there to possess the land, not stay in the wilderness. They came out of Egypt, but Egypt never came out of them. It is amazing how many of us get saved out of something, but it never comes out of us. And just because we are no longer partaking in an act that we might have partaken in before we were saved does not mean that act still doesn't have us. We spend our whole life trying like, not to go back and do that thing rather than truly allowing God to transform our hearts with a spirit that says, I'm going to go into the future and possess the promises that God has for me. The word of God is full of the promises of God, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, financially, every sphere of life. And the Bible says that all the promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen. In Christ, every one of those promises, whatever is in here, in Him is yes and amen. Not all our wishful thinking or our selfish ambitions, but all the promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen, to His glory. And We need a church that is actually radical enough to believe these promises that says, I'm not just going to coast, but I'm going to go into that promise. What God has done for us as a church is pretty incredible up until this point. Your church has been a lighthouse church to so many around the globe when it comes to multi-site, when it comes to life-giving church. But the truth is all that we have now is awesome, but there's still so much more ahead. Wherever your marriage is now, it's awesome, but there's still so much more ahead. Wherever our families are now, it's awesome, but there's still so much more ahead. Whatever our financial situation is right now, it's great, but there's a whole lot more need in the earth. If you don't have a need for your money, I do. If you can't think of something, that's why I keep going, Christians, I think it's the most selfish thing in the world to go, well, I've just got enough. For me and my family, I think you selfish person, because I need about 20 million a year to run A21, so it would really help me if you got more, and since you don't need any more, I do. Feel free to give it to, my, to me. Some of you are so freaking out right now. You can tell this is the third service, because I'm getting on a plane and I don't care, so I was really good for the first two. <laughs> But I'm, I'm a big advocate of encouraging the church to press in for more in every area, in every area, every area, because we've got a job to do on the earth. So here they were on the edge of the promised land about to go in and possess. But there's five things that the Lord said you need to do before you go into that promised land. And church, at every level of growth in any sphere of life, if we're going to go in and possess, and remember, it's a biblical principle, because with God, it goes from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from increase to increase. You don't just arrive at anything this side of heaven. So we ought to be, you can use the term missional, but it's possessional as well about the promises that God has for us in our future. We need to not shirk back from that. There needs to be a militancy about us. Paul uses that language throughout the scripture. We are fighting the good fight of faith. This is not a vacation. This is a fight of faith. We are not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. And every now and again, you need someone to come in from the outside and just remind us all, it's okay to sit in the deck chairs and sunbake if you're on a cruise ship, but this is a battleship. We're doing war. We've got a job to do on the earth and you mobilize the troops differently on a battleship than you do the vacation people on a cruise ship. And so many people in the church have been on a cruise ship waiting for the rapture when Jesus says, would you get activated and mobilized for war because we've got to take out some devils. We've got to go and advance the kingdom of God. We've got to establish God's truth and God's righteousness and God's mercy and God's justice in a lost and a broken world. The world is dying for the church to advance and possess the land, dying for us to do that. So we've got to advance. And so he says, what do you do? Well, the first thing he says to them is you've got to cut away certain things in chapter five, verse one. Remember, a generation's dead, another generation has arisen. And we are right here in church history and we're here in North America. Let me just tell you as a missionary that's moved over here, we are right here. The stats are not different here anymore to what they used to be. A hundred years ago, Europe had 100% of the world's Christians. I'm sorry, 100, 70% of the world's Christians. Only a hundred years ago. And now it's got less than 1% evangelical Christianity. When you start getting to stats in North America under 16-year-olds, it is startling that the same kind of figures are evident. You know, after Joshua and his generation died, Judges chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, to me, it's the saddest scripture in the entire Bible. It says, another generation arose that did not know the Lord nor the works that he had done for Israel. And if you and I get into cruise control instead of missional, let's advance the kingdom, another generation will advance in this nation that does not know the Lord nor the works that he's done. And so we have a responsibility to go in and possess for the sake of the next generation. And when I talk about a generation and I say a generation is going to die in the wilderness and God's risen up another generation, I am not talking um, about an age thing. Sometimes we just kind of think it's an age thing. I'm doing a whole lot of stuff around the world with a lot of the young people, but that doesn't disqualify me from being that at 46. If you woke up this morning and there was not a white chalk mark around your body, it means you're alive in case you're wondering. So that means you are part of this generation. You get to choose whether you're going to go in or whether you're going to die in the wilderness. Caleb said to Joshua, I'm 85 years old. I'm as young now as I was then. I'm as strong for war now as I was then. Now give me this mountain that's my inheritance. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be super granny for Jesus. I tell my kids, you know, you're going to have to race to keep up. I'm as young now as I was then. You can all be too cool for school with your skinny jeans, but I could not care less because I'm as strong now in my spirit as I was then. I'm more militant now in my spirit. Youthfulness has got nothing to do with the wrinkles on your skin and everything to do with the condition of your heart. Are uh, you still hungry to possess the land, That's going to be the thing that that defines you. And so he goes on and he says to them, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at that place. Now, this is why he did so. Aren't you glad you're a woman right now? All the chicks, just saying. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. How old's the church? 25 years. It's interesting to me. Because he says, a whole generation came out and had been circumcised. See, the generation that came out of Egypt, they'd had their own cutting away. They had paid their own price. But then during the whole wilderness journey, another generation arose. And they weren't aware of the price that was paid by the generation before them because they had not yet been circumcised. You can be born again into a church like this or like mine. And you could think, as you ride the momentum of the price paid by the generation before you that you've actually done something. But you've actually done nothing, except for ride the momentum of a price that somebody else has paid. I say this to our youth bands all the time that are filling stadiums all around the world. It's not because they were that good. It's because a generation before them laid down their life and paid a price. And, they, and as it should be, they've stood on those shoulders to go to the next level, but unless they too have their own circumcision and pay their own price, they'll never go any further than that. What we have at Seacoast is awesome. What God has done, what he's enabled us to be a part of is phenomenal. But somebody paid a price for that. Your sweet, cute, little rusty dusty sitting in that seat this morning, it didn't just drop out of the sky during a prayer meeting. Somebody paid a price. Well, the truth is if we're going to do the next phase of what God has for us, we have to pay our own price. We have to have our own cutting away. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. He says, Therefore then, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, not God, us, let us, in Hebrews chapter 12, lay aside the weights and the sins that so easily ensnare us. Cut aside the stuff that's holding you back. Cut aside the stuff that's slowing you down. Oftentimes in our Christianity, we don't want to be confronted by this stuff. We get into cruise control. And we reduce our Christianity to the fact, well, I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke anymore. I don't cuss anymore. I wear beige and I'm boring and I'm a socially dysfunctional moron. I've had a lobotomy, but I'm a Christian. And so I'm just hanging on till the rapture. And we define our whole Christianity by what I no longer do. I don't do this anymore. Now I'm a Christian. haven't got a clue what I should be doing. Just hope Jesus comes back soon so I don't go back to doing what I used to. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Some of you men are like, oh, my gosh, you give a chick a microphone. Look what happens. Okay, so the point here... (laughs) The fact is, though, that you've got to have this understanding that if we're going to keep pressing on from glory to glory, from increase to increase, from faith to faith, there's always a consecration. There's always a circumcision of our heart, obviously, when you covenant believers, praise Jesus. There's always a circumcision that happens, and it's got to keep happening at my level, at your level, at everyone's level. It does not ever change. So there are weights that we need to, you know, we get used to weights, but you're not going to climb Mount Everest with a whole bunch of weight that you don't need. So if you're going to climb to the next level, you've got to drop some stuff. And you know what? If you've been with the Lord for a while, normally it's good stuff that you've got to drop. It's not normally a big sin. And you can get into cruise control because you've defined your Christianity. You've skipped over into behavior modification. And you think, because I'm not doing anything sinful, I'm okay. And God says, no, but I need you to just cut some excess baggage that's good, just not great. And it's it's not going to take you to where you need to go. So there could be some friends that are good, but they're not great that you need to cut off. There could be some spiritual disciplines that you've got. They're okay, but they're not going to take you where you need to go. You need to up at a level, which means you might have to switch off the TV set, which means you might have to rearrange some of your um, leisure activities. Your leisure activities aren't sinful, but maybe the God of sport is taking just a little bit too much time. Maybe just you needing to do this or that, maybe it's taking too much time in light of eternity, and maybe you need a bit of time of consecration to turn some of that stuff off. I came to this place as we're growing A21 across the globe, as our ministry by God's grace is so exploding. You know, about three months ago, I came to this place where it was like, well, Chris, what are you going to do? And I do this all the time. But I just came into a season, which I haven't probably for 20 years been in this kind of intense season, where this morning was the same thing. Before church, I had three hours of church. Before church, I'm just in an incredibly intense season of getting up at four o'clock and getting into the Word Majorly, majorly. And just going, God, I need a separation from a whole lot of other stuff that's good because I want a whole new level of you and a whole new level of effectiveness on the earth. That means I'm not watching. I haven't watched. (laughs) I'm going a bit old school, people. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying for me in this season. I haven't watched television. I haven't watched movies. There's a whole lot I haven't done. Because in order to do what I need to do, there's a lot of good things that for a season I'm not doing to create space and margin in my life for what needs to happen I don't know what that might be for you but there are some weights there are conversations I'm not having there are some friends that which sort of just cruisy. that it's like you know they're good they're not like Satanists it's okay but they weren't taking me to my destiny either so it's like okay we've all got to do that there are realignment times in our lives level of giving Nick and I need to believe God for many more millions of dollars to do what we're going to do if we're going to see this happen in Charleston and what we want to do in North America So my husband flew home for our miracle offering with a very significant seed because I know that our next level of breakthrough financially for A21 and for our own lives has got nothing to do with what's happening on Wall Street and everything to do with my giving. It's my giving that's going to make breakthrough for the next level. So you've got to just choose whether you believe this stuff or not. And I just do. And so my my deal is I want to go for... If this is about me now, church, I would stop. I'm 46 years old this year. I have a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. I'm on the teaching team of one of the most influential churches in the earth. I've got a beautiful home in Australia that I don't live in anymore. I live 10 minutes away from one of the greatest platforms, preaching platforms in the world. I've got a nice little life in Sydney. It's one of the most beautiful, livable cities on earth. And I'm there about 20 days a year. And I spend 300 hotel nights building God's church and fighting human trafficking Because it's not about me anymore. If it was about Nick and I, you know what? We could be really comfortable now. In terms of career achievement, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, if that's what it was all about. But I never signed up for a career. There was a calling to follow Christ, which doesn't end until I die. Therefore, I have a responsibility to continue to possess. Don't make your own personal comfort the goal. It's great, and I believe God wants us to enjoy our life and have a blessed life. I promise you, I enjoy my life on the journey but I have no option to stop. None of us do if we're Christ followers because he hasn't stopped. We've got to continue to go, which means I've got to lay aside weights. Not quite sure why. I just told you some of that, but some of you obviously needed it. Or it could be sin. Perhaps you're not going into the intimacy level in your marriage. And you know that God's got a whole lot more, but the truth is you're spending half your night looking at porn magazines or surfing the net. And then you wonder why there is so many problems in that realm. Or perhaps you're single, struggling with your thought life, but you're feeding it with a whole lot of stuff. I tell people that, you know, a lot of men say to me, Chris, I'd love to come and take out a trafficker. I'd love to get on a 747 fly over to the Ukraine and take out the, the Russian mafia. I think, I don't need you to do that. I just need you to stop looking at porn because porn is the number one industry that fuels the sex trafficking trade. And we could shut it down instantly if we stopped a demand for porn. There'd be no need for a supply of girls. We could shut it down overnight <laughs> if we just did that. We could shut it down. And so maybe... You've got to lay aside some sin, gossip, slander. Some of you need to get off your internet blog sites. Some people are more worried about how many are following them on Twitter than how many are not following Jesus in the world. How many are more obsessed with getting, looking at their latest Facebook status? You need to get off Facebook and get your face in the book and start to get some of God in your life and make a difference is what needs to happen. <laughs> third service move on and so lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us in chapter five verse 10 he says they stopped at gilgal and they kept the passover that day and today we know that the passover is symbolic of jesus and the price that he paid for us they stopped before they went into the promised land church to fill themselves with jesus i wonder if every morning in the midst of this crazy world that we live in whether you're stopping to fill yourself with jesus Do you know how a lot of issues you're having in your life would actually stop overnight? You wouldn't even need counseling if you just put Jesus right in the center of it all. When we talk about possessing the promises of God, where we got a little bit, why people are a bit scared to talk about this stuff now is because the extreme right faith element of this was always it was about me. I need to accumulate more for me, amass more for me, acquire more for me. A subtle selfish greed thing got in. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about possessing so he can go through us to touch a lost and a broken world. And the way you do that is by keeping Jesus at the center of it all. It's all about him. Are you filling yourself with him? It amazes me how much time we take to fill ourselves with the latest reality TV show. I used to always think, why? Do you have such not a life of your own that you need to watch some other lose a life? I I don't get it. I, I actually don't understand it. And so many of those lives are so ungodly. I don't know why we get off with our chips and coke watching an hour and a half of just immorality and iniquity and things that break the heart of God and things that nail Jesus Christ to a tree. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And we think it's awesome. When was the last time you walked out of something because it's the very thing that sent Jesus to the cross? And we think it's cool. A like lot People sit there and watch Friends because they have no friends. I'm like, could you go out and get some friends? And then it would be interesting what you would do. It would change your whole life. But we just fill ourselves and we don't think about it. We fill ourselves with garbage. We fill ourselves with junk rather than filling ourselves with the word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. I'm not talking about some boring religious obligation. I'm talking at the moment I'm a little bit like a Bible crack addict. I cannot stop. I'm into like I can't get enough of it. And when you get it in you and it begins to work in the very marrow of your bones, you don't want anything else because you know it brings change. And you know the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and it brings life and it brings healing and it brings restoration and it brings reconciliation and it brings life to your bones and if If you're feeling weary and heavy laden, maybe it's because you're waiting on a few of the wrong things. And Isaiah chapter 40 says, those that wait upon what? The Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. People say to me, Chris, how do you maintain the schedule that you have? You know what? It isn't that hard. You just wait on the right thing. You wait on God, not on Oprah, not on Dr. Phil and not on Jerry Springer. And I'm telling you, you'll change the world if you fill yourself with Jesus every day. If you fill yourself with Jesus and then he says, the manna ceased in verse 11 and 12. For 40 years, God dropped bread out of the sky. I love it. 40 years, the Lord did things a certain way. They actually didn't even need faith anymore. They just woke up, there it was. That's the kind of Christianity we like. I don't have to do anything. God's just going to drop it out of the sky. And a lot of the issues that we have in our lives are actually management possession issues. We don't want to manage our lives well. We want God to do a miracle. And most of the things that we call miracles, we don't need miracles for. We just need to manage our lives better. You don't need a financial miracle. You just need to spend less than you earn. It's called management. You don't need a healing miracle. You just need to eat right and get on a treadmill, sweetheart, and get off the Krispy Kremes. Woo, now she's meddling. <laughs> We're well, a pastor. I need a miracle. I need a miracle in my marriage. No, just stop being a dripping tap and have some sex. <laughs> and, and, and in your marriage. I promise you, your husband will get born again and spirit-filled and be in church with you next week. Just say, that chick told me to stop nagging you and do something else. (laughs) And all the men said, anyway, we're moving right on. (laughs) You'll all be writing to Pastor Greg. Get that woman back for our men's conference. Get her back. (laughs) Seriously, church. But are (laughs) many... They're management issues. Not miracles. We're not even in the miracle realm. We just want manna because we're too lazy to live a disciplined Christian life. And God says, I need you to wait till you get to the impossible, so that's where I turn up. But you've got to do the possible so God can do the impossible. He says, I'm not doing it how I used to do it in the wilderness church. Wake up. You've got so much teaching, you've got so much literature. Do what you can do and then I'll turn up and do what only I can do. So he says, there's no more grace to stay where you are. Then the man has ceased. There's no more grace. Famous seven last words of the church. We've never done it that way before. This is how Seacoast always does it. The Lord says, there's no more grace because I do things very differently in the promised land. You cannot expect a wilderness mentality, Christian or church, to understand a possession mentality one. And that's where you end up having conflict and I've given up trying to explain myself a whole long long time ago because I found that the people that just want to die in the wilderness, they just want manna from heaven. This is how it's always been. They're kind of like the U2 song is their anthem, Stuck in a Moment. You've got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment and now you can't get out of it. You had a moment where God moved on a song 50 years ago, so every week you keep playing that, looking for that song, so you're still singing Noah's Ark's greatest hits because God once moved on a song and we're stuck in that moment. And it amazes me how we won't move on. And the Lord says, there's no more grace to stay where you are, church. The cloud's moving. It's our choice whether we're gonna go with it or not. We're in a very pivotal time in church history, in the world, and in particular in North America. You have a choice. A lot of Christians spend a lot of time praying for signs and wonders and miracles, and then avoid any kind of, any kind of context where a miracle can happen. And you and I need to get out of the boat But you can only get out of the boat when your boat's secure. And so we need to start managing our lives a little bit better so that we're not waiting from manna for heaven going, God, I need food, when God says get a job. And you can do that. So then I can take you into the miracle realm of possessing the land so we don't have to keep coming up to church every week trying to stay saved. Pastor, give me five more points on how to stay saved this week. What we need is to keep ourselves saved by the power of the Holy Spirit and his word and be obedient to that so this can become army boot camp. And when we get together on a Sunday, we can prophetically move into the future that God has for us rather than going, I need my spiritual IV drip to stay saved this week. It's extremely quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm going to move on to the next point right now. So we need to move on from where we are, church. We need to move on. And to do that, you've got to see what God sees. The Bible says in Joshua chapter six, verse one, now the city of Jericho was tightly shut up. No one came out and no one went in. But the Lord said unto Joshua, I'm sorry, I'm going a bit new King James now. The Lord said unto Joshua, I want you to see that I've given you this city and its mighty men of valor. Church, we have to understand that if we're going to have what God says we can have, we've got to see what God says we can see. And the first thing we will always see is a 30 foot thick impenetrable wall. They had seen signs and wonders and miracles. The Red Sea had parted. The Egyptian army had been drowned. For 40 years, God kept them alive in the wilderness. The, the um, River Jordan had been pushed back. They'd walked along dry ground. And you'd think after all of these miracles and some of you are right there, God has done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle and you think you're just about to get the breakthrough and you've gone boom this week, straight into a wall. And you're like, is this the devil? And God's saying, no, no, no. I just put the wall there in front of you just so that one last shot before it comes down and you get into the promised land, I need you to remember that it's me. Just in case you thought you had anything to do with the parting of the Red Sea, just in case you thought you were smart enough to feed yourself for 40 years, just in case you thought it might be you that pushed the River Jordan back, let me just remind you, it never was. And the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that killed the Egyptian army, the same God that kept you alive for 40 years in the wilderness, the same God that pushed back the River Jordan is the same God that's going to tear down the walls of Jericho. And at every point in our life, if you are truly following God, if you are truly possessing the promises of God, you will come up against walls and it'll be the test of faith and the test of your belief in God. Have you got old in your faith? Do you say, well, God did that once back then and you're spending all your time looking back at what God once did. If you're telling more stories in Seacoast about what God did than what God is doing, something is really wrong. If you're telling more stories about what God did in your family rather than what God is doing now, something is really wrong. When is the last time you talked about the latest wall you've got to face, the latest impossibility you've got to face? I don't know what you've come into church with this morning. Some of you could have a doctor's report that says this disease is incurable. You know, it's all over. You're on your own. It's terminal. There is no medical hope. Maybe you've come in here and you know what, you're confronting a marriage situation and it seems like it is over. The ink's just about to dry on the divorce papers. There is no hope. Maybe you have got a child that is so far away from the purposes and the plan and the hope of God and you're thinking they're gonna kill themselves on drugs. There's no way they're gonna come back to God. Perhaps you're facing an impossibility of a a dream that you thought, God, I thought this was you. This ministry was yours or this business was yours and it seems like it's all crumbled. I don't know what your impossibility is. But I do know that if God has given you a promise on the other side of that wall, the promise is more real than the wall. And so the Lord said to Joshua, I need you to see beyond the 30 foot impenetrable walls to the promise that is behind the walls. I've already given you the promise. I've already given you what's on the other side of this wall. If God said it, God would do it. All the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. We need to see what God sees. If we're going going to have what God says we can have. I don't know what you see this morning. I don't know what you see. Do you see the wall or do you see the promise? I remember when we started the A21 campaign, the experts, some of the the strongest, uh, the the most uh, esteemed experts in human trafficking globally, secular and Christian, did a 25-day feasibility study in Thessaloniki because I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, that's where we're going to start. My husband went with them, Nick, And um, 25 days, the most comprehensive study you've ever seen. Talking with the European Union, European Parliament, heads of government, heads of state, the whole nine yards. Extremely comprehensive. Anyway, I was flying to Thessaloniki to get the report and I was in um, Frankfurt in Germany. I'm in the airport lounge and Nick calls me and he says, ''Honey, I hope you're sitting down. You're not going to like what I'm about to tell you.'' Now, no wife wants a phone call preface with that. You know it's not going to be good when it starts like that anyway. And he said to me, Chris, they've done the whole report, basically what you're going to walk into. Let me just sum it up for you. They're saying, and this is written in the document, that it will be impossible to start an A21, to register, to even legally register the A21 campaign in the Ukraine and in Greece. Christine, it's going to be impossible to see traffickers put in prison because there's very little legislation protecting the rights of victims. Chris, it will be impossible... To fund this operation because of the economic, uh, and that was even four years ago when it wasn't even as terminal as it is today, the economic situation in that region of the world. Chris, it's going to be impossible because there's so few evangelical churches, the faith sector support is going to be so minimal. Chris, it's going to be impossible because there is so much corruption at the highest levels of law enforcement and government, which is why trafficking is rampant in this region of the world. Chris, it will be impossible. Chris, it'll be impossible. Chris, it'll be impossible. I will never forget this as long as I live. I'm in Frankfurt, Frankfurt Airport in the business lounge. I'm holding the phone and I stood up and extremely inappropriately loudly. I yell into the phone. I had my own Numbers 13 experience right there. I went, Nick, you tell them that we are well able to do this. If God said it, then we could do it. Every male head in that room turned around and looked at me, no joke. And I was having my own Caleb Moment, we are well able, well able. I don't care about the negative report of the naysayers. I didn't send the consultants in to do a feasibility study to tell me if we can take the land. It was how are we going to take the land. When when Moses sent the 12 spies in, he didn't say, please go and see if God's able to take it. He said, the Lord has promised to give us the land. Now go and have a look at how we're going to take it. So often we do a little study to go, oh, I don't think that we can do this. It's too impossible. And poor little God, he can't make a way to make this happen. I remember I said, we are well able to do this. Well, by God's grace, three years after that phone call, we have got trafficker after trafficker in jail, hundreds of girls rescued and helped. Hillary Clinton gave us an award because what is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, all things are possible and nothing is impossible. (laughs) Nothing is impossible with God, friend. I wonder if you believe that. You got to see what he sees. If you're going to have what he says, you can have the final thing. You've got to say what God says. You've got to say what he says. Chapter 6, verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua said, you will not, if you guys put that up, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout, don't say a word. God gave them the most bizarre battle plan because when you're going to take the land, it's bizarre. It's set up an East Coast office in Charleston, South Carolina. Like, it's weird. People are saying to me, why would you go there? Why would you set it up there? It's so weird. I'm like, I don't know. It's like weird starting in Thessaloniki. Everything's weird. Being a Christian's weird. The whole deal is weird. I don't know. It's it's just weird. It's just weird. But, you know, doubt and unbelief have killed more destinies than anything else. Doubt and unbelief kept a million out of their destiny. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to go back and they're all going to complain about the battle plan. How weird. March around six days, seven days, six times, blow the horn. Woo! Weird. And so he said, thus saith the Lord of everyone, shutteth upeth, shutteth upeth in Jesus' nameth, in old King James Englisheth. I feel like that's what I'd love to do to half the church every Sunday. Shutteth upeth, shutteth upeth. Because doubt dies unborn if it's never spoken. We don't need your opinion. Get off the blogosphere. We don't need your opinion or your faith or your, or your, or your doubt. Or your negativity. We need to say what God says. Because when you say what he says and you declare and decree his word, you will have what he says you can have. We shape our future with the words that we speak. What are you speaking over your relationships? What are you speaking over your finances? What are you speaking over your family? What are you speaking over your health? What are you speaking over your future? And some of us simply need to shut up. Because most of the times we speak what we feel, what we think, what our socioeconomic background was or what our experience is, it's rarely that our mouth utters what God says. But if we're going to have what he says, we can have. Well, we've got to say the same thing God says. From the day my daughters were born, not a night has passed in their life, wherever we are in the world. I've spoken over them. If they were here, they would say it in their little sassy way and roll their eyes and go, I can't believe my mom's making me do this. But they, they know it. Catherine, Bobby, you are the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. You're a leader and not a follower. You're a woman of God. You're a woman of prayer. You're a Holy Ghost terrorist. You love the house of God. You love the presence of God. You are going to grow up and marry a very, very, very wealthy Christian man. I've told them since they were born. Since they were born. What are you speaking over your life and your future? In order to possess the promise of God as pastor comes, you've got to cut away certain things. You've got to fill yourself with Jesus. You have got to move on from where you are now. You've got to see what God sees, and you've got to say what God says so that you too can lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a great word. What a great word. I am challenged to the core. And at one point I, I thought, did she really say that? <laughs> and I loved it. It was great. It was great. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you here and in the campuses. And then, um, and then we're going to respond to God. We're going to take just a few minutes this morning. It's the best part of our service. We're going to respond to God. What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? Okay? So let me pray for you, and then let's talk about our response. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful group of people who love you, who are gathered here uh, in this place and in various places, uh, seeking you and desiring more of you. And now, this morning, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, it would be, that we would be transparent and just honest with you respond to you in ways that are life-giving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.